Oh, here's one for you, Nate. What's up? A movie question. Okay. If this movie were ice cream, what would its Ben and Jerry's name be? Memories of Murder. Ooh. <laughs> it's got to have strawberry or cherry or something I was like say, that in it. Bloody cherry? <laughs> oh, oh, no. Yeah. no. <laughs> Oh. Rethink that one. Uh, okay. Well, I was thinking White House cherry, and then I'm like, ooh, blood, bloody cherry. <laughs> yeah, maybe yeah. not. Welcome to Buried Cinema, where we discuss new and lesser known films in detail. So there will be spoilers. I'm Nate. I'm Steve. I'm Brian. And Tom. I'm Kevin. <laughs> we did it, guys. We did it. We're so awesome. How That's our Steve. fans ever know the difference between our voices? Ah! That's Steve. I'm Brian. I think we're going to have to insert <laughs> clauses into this podcast. Yeah. This week, I had the pick, and I didn't feel like choosing a French film. So, you know, I or decided Korean. to do... Or Korean. So instead, I chose an English film made by a Spanish filmmaker. Um, that takes place in Korea. That takes place in Korea. Ha <laughs> ha! Gotcha! Starring Anne Hathaway. Um, He's grasping at straws now, Nate. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I chose monster movies, and I chose the 2016 film Colossal, made by Nacho Vigilando. Um, maybe Vigilando. Sorry if I'm mispronouncing your name. Um, this is a movie about a, um, IMDb actually gives a really good summary. It's about, uh, Gloria, an out-of-work party girl who's forced to leave New York City and move back home. Uh, when reports surface that a giant creature is destroying Seoul, she comes to the realization that she is somehow the monster. Um, it's a weird, really kooky thing. I remember, uh, watching this in theaters. I also remember that I'd seen, um, this director's movie, Time Crimes, which was on Netflix for a little while. It's awesome. I, I highly recommend. It's like if the movie Primer was watchable. <laughs> um, or I, I should say accessible. If yeah. Primer made sense, go and watch Time Crimes. It's really, really good. He also made a short film called 7.35 in the morning. That's really interesting. Yeah. So his, his stuff is always very fascinating, and I kind of found this one the same. It stars Anne Hathaway as the uh, out-of-work uh, woman who's returned to home. Jason Sudeikis as a bar owner. Anne Stevens as the uh, pseudo ex-boyfriend, Tim Blake Nelson. Um, I'm going to turn to Brian to kick us off. Brian, what do you think of Colossal? I thought that this was a very interesting way to tackle a movie about you know mental breakdowns and vices that people have, be it alcohol abuse or... Um, just straight up bullying. Everything to me within this universe made sense. Yeah. As to why it happened. That being said, I don't know. I, I, I'm I'm willing to overlook the reasoning how something like that happened. You mean like the physics of it? How did she? Yeah. Turn why into did a why did the, yeah. why did the lightning yeah. decide to turn her monster toy to life? Like that, I don't understand. But I don't need to. Yeah, it was uh, a Freaky Friday situation, except that, you know. Right. <laughs> but it, essentially, it was. Yeah. <laughs> this was very much the Freaky Friday of Godzilla movies. <laughs> um, 
and that and, sentence makes perfect sense and it shouldn't <laughs> and, and one of the things that i found most interesting about this movie was her life falls apart and she goes back home to an absolutely empty house and as her life is slowly getting better she goes out and she gets her air mattress with like the last of her money and then she meets her friend and then she ends up you know she finds a friend again so she gets a tv you know she she meets the other guys at the bar and then she gets the futon and then as she's like given up on her alcoholism she's finally feels like she's getting her life back together despite the fact that she knows that she is this this monster that's destroying soul she is given like essentially a house's worth of furniture so her house is basically her you know her mental state the 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 better the house is furnished is the better she is mentally and then towards the end when you find out that Jason Sudeikis is like an absolute dick. Oh gosh. Yeah. He's he's a classic abuser. Yeah. She starts to, you know, beat him with her house, with the stuff with her house. house. Yeah. 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 And starts to destroy it. and, And it's destroying her because he was the thing that she was clinging onto that was helping her, you know, get better. And then, she finds out this is the problem and that just destroys her and that destroys her house. Yeah. I think it's, I think that symbolism is amazing. The symbolism is very cohesive. Like it all kind of flows together. You can tell this is a very well composed film. Tom. Uh, I, I was getting really frustrated with this film in the beginning. It was just kind of quirky and like weird and you weren't sure like about a half hour. And I was like, how is there like, what's the rest of this movie supposed to be? And then, it gets frustrating because it's it seemed like Jason Sudeikis started showing signs of being an abuser, but then it seemed like it was going to be like, ah, uh, he was just having a bad day and like, they're going to be friends. And then it turns like, that's the, whole point, the biggest, though. I know, I know. And by the end, I realized that. Yeah. And I, and I was glad that it wasn't, I, it did. Sorry, Tom, but I, everybody's on the same page with this is a, pretty clear metaphor for domestic abuse and how that happens yeah, yeah i didn't yeah. think that really i'm not disagreeing with you but that thought never entered my mind oh that was, i don't think this, this movie is that this, this deep year. i think it's more than just i think it's a bit broader i think it's about lots of forms of abuse or yeah, it, it is and manipulation abusive relationships i should say yeah, yeah. it is it's it is about abusive relationships i don't feel like it adequately went after her alcoholism the further it got toward the end, like it became, it became less about her being an alcoholic and more about him being an abuser, which is fine, except it seemed to, and not just him, like you could tell that there was some abuse or at least codependency with her relationship with Dan Stevens. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, when it made that turn, which I found interesting, I thought that was a very interesting thing to do. And I think a lot of lesser films would have shied away from it, but it also didn't, it also seemed like it got to the point where it absolved her of her own responsibility for her alcoholism. Well, I think she's starting to take it. And the, um, you know, it's, it's a pretty straight metaphor where the, the alcoholism is her monster. 
And um, when she's killing people in Seoul, and at first she's she's drunk and she's kind of dancing around and she knocks off the helicopter pilot. And she's like, wait, these are actual people. Right. And it's this and, whole sense of like once she realizes that her alcoholism is hurting people, you right. know, and then she tries to stop but can't get out of it. And then she's be, she's going from the victimizer to the victim. And I think that transition is really, really kind of fascinating. And, and we need it somewhat because she is for that first half an hour. She's unlikable, you know, and we just kind of wanted to get her life together. And we don't we don't realize how even this is the second time I've watched it. And you can tell from like the first moment, Jason Sudeikis's character actually on a second watch is super manipulative. Yeah, he is. Yeah, I was wondering if I went back. And so watched is Dan time. Stevens. Yeah, but there's, there's no reason why we should believe that he, he he just randomly brings her a TV. I mean, maybe she said that when she was drunk or is this him trying to like well, have see, that something was- on top of her? That's why I started getting frustrated in the middle because when she shows up at his house, well, okay, maybe, let me back up. He pushes her on the playground, right? Knocks her over. And then the next day, the friend comes over the house and, and is like saying, you know, oh, he's really sorry. Um, and he got you all that stuff. And I'm like, oh my right. God, this is, this is all classic abuser stuff. But then she goes over his house and it's like, it looks like he's a hoarder. Are, are they going to start saying that he's just in a bad place because his wife left him i'm glad they went back to it and then and didn't like shy away from that well they're, they're doing to you what the abuser does to the abuse i think it's a hell of a performance both from jason sudeikis and Anne hathaway and i think that the uh that scene where he does the most irresponsible thing in the bar um when i watched that in the theaters and it's, it was pretty rare there was an audible gasp when he like stands up and says like i just did the most irresponsible thing in this bar and she's still going to stay with, with me. There was a horrifying gasp where we all realized just how how much power he knows he has over her and how much abuse he's willing, how far he's willing to go, right? Because it's it's not, he's not hitting her in that moment. He's not, he, he is putting her in some danger. And it's a weirdly comic scene with the fireworks. But it's so That was my thing. I, I, I wasn't, I was a little confused about the tone of the film. And I think that was my problem with it throughout and I, I think I would need to watch it a second time to really know how I feel about it. But I, I was I am not sure that it maintained the proper tone to be dealing with the things that it was dealing with. I'm glad that they did. I think it was I think they did a lot of like really courageous things that a lot of movies wouldn't. But I think they were also trying to be a little too light about it at other times. And that was a weird kind of seesawing of a tone to have. Kevin, uh, there's so many things that I want to disagree with. That you guys have said so far. Um, I didn't think her performance was as good as his. She wasn't phoning it in, but it just didn't feel as genuine as we've seen her do. Other times, uh, I, I thought it was wonderful. Um, I didn't. Th- I didn't get the sense that he was uh, that his personality was a lifetime abuser until she had the flashback of him in the park destroying her. Right. Up until then, I thought his personality was a result of his previous relationship. Um, That doesn't excuse the way he's treating everybody, Um, but it does. He he was abusive to his wife. That's why she left him. That I and maybe it's just dialogue that I missed, but I didn't. No, it it wasn't in the dialogue. It was subtext. Okay. Um, But it's clear if, like, if you know, if you have had experience with abusers or manipulators, it's clear. Before I get to the my biggest issue with it um the the lucky friend why the hell did he stick around 
as, because that's what that's how manipulators get away with what they do. They the know same reason keep. that Garth sticks around too. That horrible scene where he tears Garth apart right. and won't let him get the last word, and he's like, "Just leave, just leave." Because there are some people. That, so, and I watching this, I told Natasha, I told him, "He's your brother, right?" The the young kid. He's the kind of guy who even like he knows what's right and wrong, and he's a good guy. Right. It, it's not a like bad guy or anything but he follows if someone does something and it's someone he likes right he just follows along and there are people that do that they just kind of traipse along they find someone they like right traipse along and they never question anything even when they know something's wrong they're followers they and all the person that. has to do is apologize yeah and, and that's in the abusive relationship is not just a romantic relationship right it's a you know he treats this guy like shit but he, but there's moments of making it, bringing him up and making him feel right. like important, and so he follows along. He's but when she like kills that, him at the end, know. he smiles. He's got this sense of like release. Yeah, oh, yeah. Exactly. Of like, I wanted, I wanted this to happen, but I would have never done anything like this. Because he knew you know? all along that it was wrong, everything he was doing was wrong, and that there was a problem. But he's a, uh, you know, I'll follow along with this person that you know all right and there are some people that are just like that okay you know i don't like those people well um, no no i mean he's 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 a very weak character right and it's just their their whole thing is just there's nothing romantic even between her and him it's just a one-night stand oh yeah a drunken one-night stand yeah i I don't even i not to i don't think there's something wrong with that person it's just it's literally the there are some people that who they are depends on their influence that's just the mm-hmm. kind of person they are. And if they fall in with the wrong crowd, right. that's who they are. And it's just the type of person they are. And they're the type of person that has to be very careful about who they spend their time with. If you know, I, I won't go out of my way to watch this again, but if I were to watch it again, I would probably pick up on more uh, subtext, like you said, Tom, as mm-hmm. far as him being an abuser and a manipulator. The idea of these relationships... I find interesting how they interact with each other. Why did you have to bring in a, a dehydrated Godzilla and a <laughs> Walmart Voltron to, to express this and, and do this Freaky Friday across the, the planet? That's I'm the uh, more, I'm, bar conversation that they have where he does the little magic trick, right? And he just shows it off and he goes off and then he's... And at first... Sadekus's character is like, just just do the trick. Don't don't tell the story. And he doesn't. And he's like, oh, would have been better with the story. Yeah, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. And that's that's, that's, that's the, the whole thing. I mean, it was it was cute, and I know it's not supposed to make sense. I, I understand that, but yeah. there, are, it's magical realism, basically. Yeah, there's there's one thing that's slightly off of reality, but everything else is normal, and that's that. And you tell the story through that lens. I think it does a good job of actually making us care about the uh, the town that's being destroyed, right? Like the moment after he pushes her down the playground and then he just stomps across Seoul. And while we don't see anything of it, right. like we're, we realize, oh God, it does a good job of establishing yeah. these are real people. Whereas when I do go and watch Godzilla, I'm just kind of like, oh, how much, how many buildings can he crush? Yeah. You know? Well, and also lends itself to the metaphor of these these kinds of relationships don't just hurt the two people that are in the relationship. 
there are ripples, there are effects outside of that. And there's a lot of people that get hurt by um, these abusive relationships, not just the people in the abusive. And I think that was, this was to me as much a one-to-one metaphor as the Babadook. Yeah. It was the same kind of thing. They started with the idea and built the story around it as opposed to it being sort of a tangential uh, subtext kind of thing. Well, and she wins when she takes control of her monster, right? When she takes control of her disease and then she uses it, she comes back and she can actually like destroy it. Like in the the Babadook is a good comparison where the monster is not dead at the end. Spoiler, sorry, whoops. Um, (laughs) Where she she still has to live with this post-traumatic stress disorder. Here she's going to take control of her alcoholism. Maybe. Um, it, maybe. Maybe. That's not, maybe. That's not clear. Yeah, that's not clear at the end, right? But it's always going to be, it's something where she's she uses it, right. right? She understands and she actually fights back. And I was really glad there's a moment where, you know, if this was almost any other sort of filmmaker, she could have like shown mercy or done something like that. I think she, she was going to up until he dropped that well, final line. Well, would she have heard that? No, she wouldn't have, and that. I don't know. I was, I was, I was thinking about. I was that under the impression ended. that she did hear it. She did hear it. Yeah. But how could she? Like, yeah, yeah that's the how question. Could she, yeah. They, yeah. Like, that was a problem. That it seemed like she heard it, but there's no way she could. And you could so. say that she had this realization that he's not going to change. Yeah. So yeah. That, he has I think to that die. was more the audience heard for the it. audience. Right. Yeah. yeah. And uh, this this entire roller coaster ride of their friendship. Um, or relationship was was more making the audience be the abused in the relationship. Well, and if if he has this ability to turn to a giant robot and squash a city, he's going to do that every day. Yeah. This character because it makes him you know? feel like important. Yeah, which is one of his issues. Yeah, that's where and his so abusiveness stems from. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I've actually so I've watched this movie three times just since January, um, and. I actually agree with Tom. The tone of this movie is a problem because mm. uh, it is when I I, I sat to, I'm, I had to rewatch it because I couldn't remember it. I couldn't. I was like, oh wait, isn't that a romantic mm. comedy about whatever? And I told <laughs> it was, Natasha. It, it was I billed as a, a comedy. I yeah. think it's a romantic comedy between them because I didn't remember all the abuse <laughs> and stuff. And even before the podcast today, I'm like. I could remember all three movies except for that one. I'm like, what movie? What's the fourth oh. movie we're doing? I can't remember. Well, it'll come up. I know I watched it. I watched it last night, and I still couldn't remember that we were doing. Something about this movie doesn't stick with me, and I think it's I think it's the tone. Tom, I didn't realize until you said it, Tom. I think it's the tone. The tone feels, especially in the first half of the movie. By the second half, it starts to solidify a little bit. But for the first half of the movie, the tone is... It is very confusing, and I I think that's intentional. It's on. Yeah, I think it's I think it's to kind of like lure you in. It's to thinking doing this, exactly this... what an abusive relationship does. Yeah. it's it's mm. kind of fun and light at the beginning, and you know, yeah. doing nice things and bringing you in, and then there's something dark that happens. You're like, wait, what the hell? And then it's a oh, I'm, I was drunk. I'm not normally like that. I'm a terrible person. Uh, no, yeah. you're not a terrible person. He's actually a nice guy, and he's going to change. And then it's shitty again. And it just keeps. And then it, it traps you in a way where you can't get out. I understand. This is another one of those movies where I understand what it's doing intellectually, but something about that shifting tone, constant shifting tone, makes me completely forget what this movie is about. By the time I it, in a week, I'll probably be like, I have no idea what that movie was about. I can't remember. <laughs> So I, 
I don't know. I, I, I feel very conflicted because it's, uh, it's a cool thing that the movie's doing and showing you this is what it's like to be in an abusive relationship where one minute it's a romantic comedy and the next minute it's a pretty dark horror. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's horror, yeah. And then it shifts back to romantic comedy and, and it's kind of cool, but for a movie it makes it so that way, I don't know, something about that makes it forgettable for me. I don't know why that is because it shouldn't be. It's actually well done. I kind of agree with Kevin. I don't think Anne Hathaway was a good choice. I don't really like her anyway, but I don't think she, it was a good choice for her to be in this role. I don't think she pulls it off very well. Um, and her alcoholism, I don't have a problem with her alcoholism because I don't think she's actually an alcoholic. Because of her acting? No, because <laughs> I, it's her way of coping with – she's in constant – She's a drunk relationships right so it's a it's not a it's a coping mechanism not you know which alcoholism is but i don't think i don't think it's it's the reason that she stops being an alcoholic is because she she comes to the realization oh i'm i just i'm attracted to abusive men and she has it now that that was another problem because that doesn't happen right they, you don't realize oh i'm attracted to abusive men and that fixes everything right right um, so that was a little problematic too. It was well, a see, I don't think, easily fixed. Yeah, I don't think – I think that last scene, even though it was comedic, it does say I'm not past my problem. Yeah, the monster is yes. not going away. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's true. But uh, Jason Sudeikis was as the like swapping back and forth between the lovable like uh, yeah. small town guy that you know you probably should have – ended up with in the first place to this abusive asshole and he switches back and forth seamlessly in the movie mm-hmm. he was the best actor in this entire movie oh yeah Absolutely. oh yeah this yeah. completely ruins all hallmark movies <laughs> yes. like if you were to ever to show this to any mom like put this on the hallmark channel it would just ruin all hallmark movies because that's exactly what he is you, you go back home your life's a mess and that guy you're supposed to fall in love with, oh, turns out he's an abusive, manipulative asshole. You know, <laughs> Luke from the Gilmore Girls. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know if there's any way to accomplish what this. Uh, did he write and direct, or just direct? Yeah, he wrote yeah. and direct. What the the writer of this movie was trying to accomplish without having that tonal dissonance throughout the movie. And maybe that tonal dissonance is important. And on a second viewing, I'll understand like now knowing what it was just trying to do now. But for me, it um, makes um, the movie forgettable. And maybe that's just me. I don't know. I, and I, I'm not sure why, but it makes that, that point ultimately forgettable because in three months, uh, at least that's what's been happening. I'll look back and I'll think, Oh yeah, that wasn't that a romantic comedy. Mm. You know? So, uh, yeah, I don't know. And maybe that's the point, is you forget the horrible parts. I, I don't know. It's tough. Okay, let's grade this movie. Uh, Brian, what grade would you give Colossal? I'm actually going to give it an A. Awesome. Tom, what grade would you give Colossal? I'm going to give it a B. Okay. I'm also going to give it an A. Uh, this is actually... Uh, I, I'm i blown away by this movie. Um, this is really... This is in my top 100 on flick chart. This is mm. really high up there. I think it's on on a second watching. I think Tom, if you were to go back and watch it, you'd said this. I think it it holds up. It builds a lot. It's it fascinates me. Uh, Steven? I'm giving it a B. Okay, Kevin. I'm gonna give it a B. A B. So then, with two A's and three B's, that gives Colossal a B plus, which is a zombie hand. 
So Steve's going to do some movie questions here for us. Uh, movie questions is a fun little thing that we like to do. We've got a bunch of random movies uh, that we uh, normally pair up with some questions, but today we're going to answer some questions pertaining just to Colossal. So you're going to get some random fun questions. That'll give us something else to discuss with Colossal. If you were forced to hang out with someone in this movie, who would it be? I don't know why, but I feel like I should hang out with Jason Sudeikis. <laughs> <laughs> are you Joel? Kevin, are you Joel? Is it okay? No. <laughs> Anne Hathaway. Yeah, at, at, at what point in her life, though? Yeah. At the end of the movie when she's on the mend. I feel like Garth would be a cool guy to hang out. Like, we're just talking about hang out, like, like at a bar. I feel like Garth would have a couple of cool stories. He could do that cool thing with the tea bag. Yeah, do you a know. line while he's in the bathroom, come back and just... Yeah, I mean, I mean, he's the one doing the cocaine, not you. He's yeah. Not, he's not pushing. Yeah, it's not like he's saying, if you don't do this line of cocaine, I'm going to go destroy Soul. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's never clear. He might have been past it by that time in his life. We just know Jason Sudeikis has that on him. Right. Yeah. Dan Stevens, his character Tim, would just be pretentious, I feel like. Always trying to tell me how I could do better in my life. And then I'd be like, you know what, Dan Stevens? You're irrevocably handsome, so I guess you're right. He is a good-looking man. He is. The waitress at the end of the movie? Yeah! Can we hang out with her? Yeah, that'd be cool. <laughs> I'd do that. No, I, def- I definitely think if we're going main character, we're probably going to say Garth or Joel. <laughs> yeah. Can I, can I hang out with Anne Hathaway, but only at, when she's the monster? I want to hang out with the monster. That dance does? Yeah. Was <laughs> creepy looking. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, it was cool. I, <laughs> I, liked, I liked your, what was your description, Kevin? Like it was a. Dehydrated Godzilla. Dehydrated <laughs> Godzilla. And, and it's the other thing. Nobody ever said, hey, wait a minute. That looks exactly like a mass produced toy from the 90s. <laughs> yeah. What the hell? Yeah. I just. Mass produced was... knockoff toy. Like yeah. that was. <laughs> Oh, this could be good. What is your favorite moment in the movie? That's tough. The scene where she first comes into the bar and meets his friends, and it's a very, like, that's the, the romantic comedy scene, right? But it's it's a very kind of, I don't know, there's a, there, it, that's the that's the scene that kind of sucks you in to the, the abusive relationship, right? We make a lot of excuses for them. They drink all night long. Yeah. We're like, oh, they're cool. They're hanging out, just having mm-hmm. fun. And mm-hmm. it, it turns out that it's not that at all. But I thought that was weird from the beginning, but I thought it was supposed to be normal in terms of the world of the film. Right. So I'm glad that it wasn't by the end. Yeah. But that was one of the things that confused me. I was like, this is terrible. This is unhealthy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I like the scene where she dances as the monster and it does it. And again, it kind of sucks you in because then the whole concept is coming together. And that's kind of the, the crux of the movie where she's dancing and they're like, holy cow. And for like two seconds, it, it's kind of playful. And now what is she supposed to do with this? Yeah, it ends. She hits the helicopter and she's like, the pilots too? And that's when you realize like the whole reality of everything comes crushing down on her. Mm-hmm. And, and for a few seconds, like you were thinking it was kind of this cool thing. Yeah. Like you would think how like going out and getting drunk every night is kind of cool. You're like, oh, she's the monster. That would be awesome to actually be. No, it would be horrible. And and the reason it's horrible is that you're not aware of the monster's surroundings. Yeah. Yeah. That's a pretty good metaphor for drunkenness. (laughs) Yeah. Because you're, you're moving, you're not, you're 
not paying attention to what's actually happening around you and all this stuff. Yeah. I think I just found an, a new drinking game for our podcast. Anytime somebody says the word meta or metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, the the whole like her getting the TV and not knowing she asked for it. I mean, that is, yeah. that's, you know, her blacking out. Like, and, right. and we don't see it. We don't see it. So she blacked out. We blacked out. Like, I mean, I, I appreciate that. We're going to come back and talk about uh, Tom's pick, Troll Hunter. Completely metaphor-free film. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, now we're going to be talking about my pairing to Nate's film. His theme was Giant Monsters. So I chose a film that I've been wanting to get on the podcast for a while. Uh, This is Troll Hunter from 2010. It is a Norwegian film uh, directed by Andre Uverdal <laughs> and starring the apparently famous Norwegian comedian Otto Jespersen as the troll hunter. I saw this uh, in theaters, saw it again a couple years ago and liked it a lot more because the first time I was a little cold on it. Basic plot is it's, a, it's also a found footage film. It's about a group of college students making a documentary. I believe it starts out they're documenting uh bears it's like bear poaching right yeah, yeah. well not exactly bear po- yeah i guess w- what they think is a bear poacher and turns out to be a troll hunter he was involved in bear poaching though so they got a good nose for the truth so this is my third time watching this um had, had anybody seen this before no nope i had considered watching it several times on netflix but never actually got around to watching it okay so let's see who shall i start with let me start with uh I actually have no idea where any of you are going to go on this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going into this so blind. Uh, Quick, guys, duck Kevin. and weave, duck and weave. Kevin, what, how do you feel about Troll Hunter? So, as you know, I started watching this without subtitles. Um, <laughs> yeah, we keep telling you to use VLC. Yeah, I did wind up renting it and, and getting the subtitles, so I got the full text. Um, but I had watched about 15 minutes before time you suggest hey just go on amazon prime and like that's a good idea Uh, (laughs) i wasn't far off of where i thought the film was going and i almost was thinking about just continuing but i was like nah it's you know no big deal because it's kind of fun actually sometimes Mm -hmm. um especially for something like this i could see the the found footage and you're getting interviews and you don't know who people are this it kind of reminded me of dead snow yeah, it gave me a first, first, similar like, feel. Scenes. And I've I, I, all Norwegian films look the same. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? I, I, wow, I, I, little I, racist guys. Yes, because the Norwegians have real <laughs> problems being people being racist towards them. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, had, I had a fun time watching this. Uh, I wasn't expecting anything really. Nothing crazy about it. I like trolls. Uh, you know. <laughs> uh, they're good people. Yeah. <laughs> this, I was going to say, the special effects were pretty good. They were decent. Like, the CGI was okay. Uh, I, I was Actually, it wasn't okay. The CGI was good uh, for the monsters. It, it seemed realistic. Good. Believable. Um, yeah. I, I good really, enough for I, what it yeah, was. Yeah, I didn't have any real problems with this movie. Had anybody uh, seen previews for this, even? Going no. no. Nothing. No. I, no. I, I, saw, I saw it. I was like, Brian, I saw it on Netflix and show up like, you should watch this. And I'd be like, whatever, Netflix, you don't know what I like. I gladly watch it again. I saw the same, Netflix did the same thing to me. And I was like, (laughs) I was like, 
oh, that's probably a metaphor for something, or that's right. a, you know, that they can't be actually, no, it's just a troll hunter. That's what yeah. it's actually about. <laughs> it's pretty straightforward. So like the Norwegians. Yeah, I, I, I kind of, I'm kind of with Kevin. I enjoyed it. I was kept expecting it to do a little bit more than what it was doing, but no, it's about hunting trolls. It's yeah. a sort of film crew that gets caught up in that. Okay, cool. And it does that well. I kept, there, especially that one scene where the troll hunter leads them into the cave right. or the For the mountain mine. trolls. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. At that point, I'm like, I bet he's working with the trolls and he's leading them in there to sacrifice <laughs> oh. them to the trolls. I was certain that's what's going to happen. And this is all a setup right. to lead them in. I thought that was the end of the movie right there. I thought he was like leading them in to set them up to sacrifice them so the trolls leave people alone. And no, he's just hunting trolls. That's yeah. all. That's all there is to it. And when they, the when they're in the the hive and hiding from the trolls, and right. you know that was a genuinely tense scene. You know, I was right with them and scared. I mean, that would be terrifying to be stuck in this little thing and yeah. you know knowing at any minute. Uh, so was it? I got a little confused about the characters, though. Okay. Was it the cameraman who was a Christian? Yes. Yes. Yeah, I think oh, so. Okay. But then there was another character that just kind of disappeared somewhere. No. Because there was the blonde guy, there was another guy, the girl, and the cameraman, right? No, there were three. No, three. There's only three. There's the camera guy, there's the sound girl, and then there's the guy who's on camera. It's just those three. It was the cameraman that came out every once in a while, and I just thought that was another guy. He did a little bit, yeah. Yeah, every so often the cameraman was asking for the troll stink so he could rub himself up with that. No, 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 before Uh, that, before that, do we see the cameraman before that scene? We did a couple of times when they were, one of the times when I think they were running out of the woods or trying to escape. Okay, so maybe that's where, I I thought there was someone other than the cameraman with them, you just didn't see him very often. So I was a little, got a little confused about characters, but that, that's a minor, very minor thing. Because I mean, sounds like Steve is point. saying all Norwegians look the same. That's <laughs> they really do. What I heard. So. <laughs> that's another question I was wondering: is do any of you guys have any familiarity with Scandinavian mythology and folklore, like from childhood or? Yeah, I saw Thor. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with Nate. Um, I. <laughs> I read and I played and, God of War. Yeah. yeah. No. <laughs> no, but I read and had read to me stories that had trolls in it and things mm-hmm. like that. So that's Okay. That was I assumed pretty the, normal. The whole troll hanging out under the bridge was Oh, the three Billy Goats Gruff. Yeah. Right. Oh yeah, that it, was it, definitely yeah. yeah. There's And it referenced connection. a few other it referenced other like classical troll yeah. stories too. And I I like I will say I liked that the movie said that Basically, it took the trolls that had gotten out of the quarantine or the what, right. reserve that yeah. they had, and they had rabies, and that's why they were doing what they were doing. They're not just bad because they're trolls. Right. That was kind of a cool little twist on it. Uh, Nate? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I enjoyed this this movie. I wish there uh, – it takes a little bit of time to kind of get going until we're actually seeing the, dro- the trolls. It's, it's a little slow to go. Even for a foreign film, Stephen Kevin have already pointed out. You know, it's it's very fun. It's very funny. The Billy Goat's gruff scene on the like bridge where he gets like where you think like he might be dead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's like, oh gosh, oh no. And I was like, oh there there goes the movie because um, <laughs> it's like about him. And then he gets up and kind of goes down and it splatters. It's it's got good humor. Um, I think it has it has found footage problems 
where um which a lot of found footage movies have where it's like um right cloverfield has the same problem it's like why didn't the guy put the camera down yeah you know like the the camera guy constantly has it on when even when he's getting eaten and there's a couple other scenes like that where it's um it doesn't seem like or organically enough and i feel like with the found footage they could have their uh interview team they could have had scenes to get some of their stuff across where they sat down they ask him questions they ask other people questions there are ways to do it I think it doesn't do that well, but it's it's a fun ride. It doesn't it doesn't like get up how, to the level of District Nine or Chronicle like as far as found footage. They the, the camera guy gets eaten. They're like, oh man, that sucks. Well, let's get a new camera guy. Yeah, <laughs> it was like that didn't take that, long at all. Yeah, Brian. Well, I'm just thinking about it. Uh, you know, some of the some of the troll mythology that's in here is uh, I'm I'm assuming it is the original Norwegian mythology that kind of like transferred over into tolkien you know like the trolls turning into stone with the sunlight because they don't yeah right no the, the reasoning for it was a little more scientific but Which you know cool. was, um I, I mean it was a very straightforward movie i could do without the the text scroll intro at the beginning you know the, this was some found footage that we like we had to scoot 200 and whatever hours of found footage and i i, I didn't need that but I guess it, it kind of sets up the movie a little bit as well as as it were a found footage film. Well, I think that I mean, a lot of found footage films do that. The idea is to create that tension of the closer gets to the end. You're like, when is this? When is it going to happen? You right. know, like what's going to happen to these people that I'm watching this whole time that they're going to disappear? I think they've been trying that ever since the Blair Witch Project, too. Right. Where. Right. Yeah. Which literally tricked us into thinking that. And there are still some people out there who think, like, it was real, you know, because they literally did it with just, like, no name, nobodies, and it didn't really feel like a movie. And so it's still that sort of pseudo-tension. It's just, it, it kind of was like, in the beginning, there was a middle of the end, you know, like, it wasn't, it, it didn't really do much more than that for me. Okay. There was that scene, and I wasn't, I, I missed it, and I wasn't willing to go back to, to fully understand what was what they were talking about. There was a scene where they, they were talking about the troll reserve, mm-hmm. right? And they have the trolls going in a loop the, or something. No, I, I, they have the power line going yeah. in a loop. The yeah, yeah. Power line. Yeah, but they had something about having the trolls migrate around in a loop constantly. Oh, I miss that. There no. was, yeah, there was something. Because he comments on it. He's like, isn't that kind of cruel? He's like, well, it works. And they, there's that line, and I, I, but I, I kind of missed that exchange. So seen this three times. I don't remember any line about migrating trolls. Yeah, I think it was just about that the power lines go around in a circle, and he was just asking him like, "Why do you do that?" He said, "Don't you think line, it's unusual that the power lines follow this circuitous loop?" Yeah, because the power line guy is just like, "That's just the way it is." Yeah. Oh, you know. okay. So that okay. I, yeah, I, it wasn't I about the trolls. There was trolls. a little more to that than I thought. They were trying there's, to say something a little more. Apparently, a lot of this is kind of parodying Norwegian politics. Yeah. Of course, I had to read to know that because mm-hmm. I'm not from Norway. But I uh, I grew up, not grew up on, but I grew up with a fascination for Scandinavian mythology. And I always had a fascination for trolls. So I wasn't as big a fan of it the first time I saw it. And this third time I watched it, I liked it a lot better than even the second time I watched it. So I liked, I liked it. There's just not much to it yeah um and there, and i agree with nate there's some i don't necessarily agree with nate with the 
with the same found footage problems, but there are found footage problems where there's that scene where he's like, look, see how those sheep are out there and they put them out for the trolls. And you could tell like they were driving along and they saw some sheep and they're like, oh, this would make good part of the movie. And they saw some other things. They're like, oh, that would be good to be put in the movie. We can come up with uh-huh. an excuse of why later. And you could feel that in the movie. So there, there's those little things, but... I don't mind those moments because that's just saving you in a budget. I don't like the with with a found footage movie. You have to you you have to be really careful with how you show your footage because it it has to feel found. It can't feel created. It can't feel forced. Yeah. And so you either have to do like one of two things, like where um you you have to be Blair Witch Project and completely do it under the radar, or District Nine who finally decides like screw it, it's a movie now. Yeah. You know, or do I mean, I still think we haven't talked about it in a long time, but Chronicle, if we go back and rewatch that, it's kind of perfect it's in how it places smart. everything. It's using multiple kind of camera angles, not just the one guy with the camera. It's going to show everybody like using all the feeds. Yeah, it's not found footage so much as compiled footage. Right. I feel like, though, found footage has become enough of its own genre at this point where once you see it's a found footage movie, you have you have to kind of give that little bit of credit of, okay, he's going to find reasons to keep filming. Otherwise, there's no movie. It can be done very, it can be done smarter, I agree. Yeah. But you give it that leeway of, okay, this has to happen. If you don't do it perfectly, that's okay. That's, I'll move on. And not even found footage, just the documentary style. Yeah. Um, like with The Office and stuff. Uh, my brother, Dan, brought this point up that at one point, like, there's a scene in the office where Dwight jumps in a swimming pool, and there's a cut to him under the water, and it's like, what? How? Why? Yeah, how did like, he get down there? <laughs> the cameraman jumped in the pool? Like, you know, I was, I was actually surprised when I was flick charting to see that I had only seen 11 found footage films, because it feels like I've seen a lot more than that. Yeah. And I think that's just the prevalence of it in pop culture now. Um, right. But uh, I guess we could just go right into grading this film. Um, I agree. There's not too much thematically to discuss. I just think, from pure craft, it's a it's a very unique, uh, well made. Um, it's a fun movie. Yeah. yeah, Brian, what would you grade Troll Hunter? Uh, I'm gonna give it a C. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't like it was atrociously bad or anything. It was just you know it was just something to watch. I got through it, and you know I didn't really take anything away from it. So I'm, I'm giving it a C. Nate, I'd, I'd give it a C too. I think. Uh, I'd be willing to go back and watch it again a second time, and I bet it would go up. But right now, it's just uh, for me. It's it was just a fun movie. I, I'd like there to be a bit more substance there. But if I watch it again and again, it's still fun. Then it would probably rise. Steve, uh, I'm giving it a B. I don't have any complaints. You know, it's not you know didn't blow me away or anything. But I definitely watch it again. And there's nothing that I think that they should have done better. So, uh, Kevin, I'm going to give it a B also. Uh, I did enjoy, somebody mentioned it, when uh, they went to the veterinarian and she was giving the interview and, and she kind of kind of explained off how they explode and how they turn to stone and that kind of stuff. And so later on when uh, Thomas finds out that he's got rabies, it kind of closes the loop on the science part of the story and how it's you know affecting the rest of the trolls and and it kind of helps you to understand how the story is going to continue after this movie's over okay i'm actually going to give it an a 
on my first view and I was at a C and on my second view and I was at a B. So my third view and now I'm at an A. Um, yeah, I, I think the first time I watched it, uh, I was kind of like that. I was like, there's not really much to this to take away, but it's, it, it does have that quality where you can watch it again and pick up new things. And, and just from a pure craft standpoint, I think it's really well made. So it's an A, two B's and two C's. Yep. With, uh, Two A's? I had two B's, two C's, and oh. an A. Yeah. Is that what I said? Yeah. Okay. And, well, that, that, <laughs> that gives it a B minus. I, if there were a Bigfoot movie done kind of along this same lens, obviously we would relate to it better. I don't think I would enjoy it as I, much as I enjoyed this. I agree. I, I think the unknown culturally... Uh, I would think it's stupid. If it was gives it, yeah, yeah, it... it gives it a false sense of credibility because you're like okay i guess what they're saying is true and accurate and based on fact guess in norway they're trolls yeah Yeah. (laughs) okay we're gonna add troll hunter to our flick chart which again is a website you can go to yourself and rank movies against each other at random or as brian would say through a bubble sort (laughs) correct yep um anyway and it builds a it builds your rankings for you. I don't know, man. It's random to me. And it builds your rankings for you automatically. We'll add Troll Hunter. And the first film it comes up against is The Hunger Games Mockingjay Part 1. Hunger Games. Troll Hunter. Troll Hunter. Mockingjay Part 1. Which one was that? It's the third one. It's the one where she just lies around for two hours. Yeah, pretty much. Sing like it's not the it's not the one where she goes into the city, right? And like everything goes to hell. That's the fourth one. That's the fourth yeah, that's the fourth. One. I don't know. I haven't seen this fourth one. It's stupid. And like it's not the Victor. That's uh, two. It's the second one. Yeah. Yeah. She troll literally, hunter. Tom's right. She literally <laughs> just kind of hangs out for two hours. That's yeah, Troll Hunter. That's the movie. I was trying to remember which which movie it was, and I can't remember which movie it is. So Troll Hunter. So is that Troll Hunter three to two? Yeah, I agree. Troll Hunter. Troll Hunter versus Captain America: The Winter Soldier. Captain America. Captain America. Captain America. Captain America. I agree. Winter Soldier wins. Troll Hunter versus Black Hawk Down. Black Hawk Down. Troll Hunter. Black Hawk Down. Black Hawk Down. Uh, I would also go Black Hawk Down. Troll Hunter versus Warhorse. Warhorse. Troll Hunter. I would actually go Troll Hunter here. Uh, Warhorse. So we're stuck. I'm not willing to budge. I, I really liked Warhorse. Well, that'll uh, stop Troll Hunter at 314 on our flick chart, which is right between. It's no, it's right above Hunger Games Part Three, Part One, and right below a David Mamet film (laughs) (laughs) called Things Change. Uh, We're going to come back and tell you what we're watching on our next podcast. Next month, uh, I had the pick and Tom has the pairing because we're going to be recording at the end of April, beginning of, oh no, actually beginning of May. I had to choose uh, Avengers Endgame. Had to. Had to. No choice. I know I'm going to go see (laughs) it. Uh, I know we're going to talk about it, so let's not try and avoid the obvious. Uh, And thanks to my wife, the topic that I gave to Tom was fantastic finishes. I like how you preface that with thanks to my wife. (laughs) Just that, huh? I'll read the text that you sent me. Uh, 
you could take that a number of different ways. Tom, the theme is fantastic finishes, parentheses, a.k.a. the money shot. <laughs> I added that. I did add that little part at the end. So I almost went with the Todd Salons film called Happiness, which has uh, multiple uh, finishes, as it were. Um, oh, so it's like a sort of a collection of short films. Oh, okay. I got it. <laughs> so I... I, I Went a little bit of a different direction than Endgame here. Um, I decided to pick uh, 2016 film The Neon Demon. Oh, God. You've seen it? I've been avoiding it, actually. (laughs) Okay. Uh, It's from writer-director Nicholas Winding Refn. Winding? (laughs) I I know. That Uh, makes him sound so much cuter than he is. Or Winding Refn, however you say his name. I just think Winding sounds funny. Who uh, directed Drive? And uh, it stars Ellie Fanning, Keanu Reeves, Christina Hendricks. It's about a... Uh, I'll just read the IMDb thing here. An aspiring model, new to Los Angeles. How, uh, her beauty and youth, which generate intense fascination and jealousy within the fashion industry, may prove themselves sinister. How does it fit the theme? Have to watch it and find out. Ah, damn it. <laughs> <sighs> Mam it! <laughs> Demam it. <laughs> All right, so <laughs> not much to say about month, the Neon Demon. Fantastic right. uh, just, yeah, finishes. Look like some. Yeah, I don't know. For some reason, I I have a feeling it's not going to be fun to watch. Neon Demon. Yeah, just because I know Nicholas Winding Refn and how he. We've done his stuff before. Yeah. The Hollow Rising Drive is awesome, but um, it, that's awesome. I don't think his films ever end up being quite what you are expecting them to be. No, that's true. This is no exception to that. So. Okay, so yep. superheroes and supermodels. Yeah. Sorry, I have to get off my horse. My, my bad. Hang on. That did not sound like a horse. That's just the noise Nate makes when he gets to his end game. Yeah. Uh, uh. That's good. Thank you.